Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. At long last, it is the season five celebration on MASH Matters. Celebrating the greatest television show of all time. (laughs) I'm Ryan Patrick. He's Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick. This is exciting. Season five. That's cool. You know, if MASH had only lasted five seasons, this would be the final season. This would be the end of the whole thing, wouldn't it? (laughs) We'd be signing off after this. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) And now my mother, the car. We're going to talk about the episodes from season five. We have a lot of listener comments to get to, and we also have our top episodes from this season. But before we get to that, Jeff, I want to address something that happened in our last episode. Now, we had a lot of older questions, okay? So, you know, we get a lot of questions in, and some of these questions sit for a long time before we can get to them and answer them on the podcast. And so the last episode we did, we answered a lot of those older questions. Well, we got an email from one of our uh, Patreon VIPs, which we'll talk about that here coming up in just a bit. This is from Trina. Trina says, hello, Ryan and Jeff. Just thought I'd let you know that I really enjoyed the early access to the newest episode on Patreon. As of late, I've been going through the episodes from newest to oldest, playing them in the background as I work from home. When I heard the question from Tristan from Australia, I was like, wait, I've heard this one before. This morning, I checked and I was correct. It was the opening question for episode 42, answering antique questions. I kind of laughed as you said that episode 51 was also going to be another antique questions episode. And upon hearing that question being asked for a second, I thought it was going to be a rerun. Anyway, I promise not to pick nits anymore. Just keep up the great work, guys. And I can't wait to hear more episodes from you. Thank you, Trina, for bringing that up. You know, it's interesting because when we read that question, so Tristan is the one who asked the question, how many latrines had you dug and what hand were you holding when Colonel Potter confiscated your cards? (laughs) And I even said in the episode, you know, I think we've answered this question before. Yeah. (laughs) Lo and behold, it was the exact same question. Evidently, we had already read Tristan's questions back in uh, episode 42, which in pandemic years is like 18 years ago at this point. Wow. We completely forgot. So Tristan, you got double your money on that one. This is like time travel. This is confusing (laughs) me a little bit. (laughs) Uh, And also, I want to know, Trina, I want to know how you pick nits. And what a knit actually is. Well, you have to wait till they're ripe. Oh, okay. Let's give them a little squeeze. Just a little squeeze. You can thump them and you'll know. You'll know when it's time to pick the knit. Squeeze your knit and it's ready for picking. (laughs) All right. Well, interesting. So we've answered the question three or four times in six different time zones. Exactly. (laughs) And galaxy. We may answer it again in like episode 63. Who knows? (laughs) Exactly. Let's move on now to our season five celebration. Jeff, would you mind just running through the list of episodes from season five? Yes, I would very much, actually. (laughs) No, I'd certainly like to read these episodes. They are as follows. Bug Out, Margaret's Engagement, Out of Sight, Out of Mind, Lieutenant Radar O'Reilly, The Nurses, The Abduction of Margaret Houlihan, Dear Sigmund, Mulcahy's War, The Korean Surgeon, Hawkeye Get Your Gun, The Colonel's Horse, Exorcism, Hawk's Nightmare, The Most Unforgettable Characters, 38 Across, Ping pong, end run, hanky panky, hepatitis. And if you pick your nits too early, you get hepatitis, actually. <laughs> the general's practitioner, movie tonight, souvenirs, post up, Margaret's marriage. Whew, boy. 
That's a lot of episodes. And a lot of great episodes. Yeah. Big season for Margaret. A lot of big things happening for Loretta Swit and Margaret Houlihan in this season. A mm-hmm. couple of notes about season five before we jump into listener comments. This was the last season for Larry Linville as Frank Burns. This is also the first season without Larry Gelbart at the helm as creator and producer. Mm-hmm. Gene Reynolds would continue to serve as the lone executive producer for this season, but then he would actually leave after season five to go do Lou Grant. Also in season five, William Christopher, his name is added to the credits as a regular cast member, although he is noticeably absent from a large number of episodes this season. And the reason is, is because William Christopher in real life had Hepatitis. Hepatitis. Yeah, he got very ill. Yeah. Very ill. And this actually would inspire the episode Hepatitis later in the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a kick in the teeth right there. You finally get your name in the credits as a regular player, (laughs) and then you get hepatitis and you can't be in most of the episodes? (laughs) Wow. So you actors out there don't want to get your name in the credits because you may be seriously ill. So we jumped out on Twitter and on our Facebook pages. You need to follow us on Twitter and Facebook because that's where we ask these questions questions and we asked hey what's your favorite season five episode and why and we got a lot of responses and so let's jump right in let's look at twitter first our friend amanda nifong she says the nurses by far as someone who can get so caught up in the details of taking care of patients it's a nice reminder to look around myself once in a while and recognize what my fellow nurse aides and nursing students are going through i felt every scene in this episode oh yeah well thank you first of all amanda thank you for all you do as a nurse and a nursing student the nurses is a uh, it was a popular episode we got a lot of responses for nurses and i think the big reason is because of that monumental speech that margaret has in that episode in the nurse's tent. Mm -hmm. Did you ever show me any kind of friendship? Ask my help with a personal problem? Include me in one of your little bull sessions? Can you imagine what it feels like to to walk by this tent and hear you laughing and and know I'm not welcome? Did you ever once ever offer me a lousy cup of coffee? We didn't think you'd accept. Well, you were wrong. That episode was directed by a woman named Joan Darling. And Joan Darling was a very prominent, first, she was an actress, but she became a very prominent acting teacher in Los Angeles. And uh, I attended a few of her classes, much to her chagrin. I did it anyway. (laughs) But she was an extremely gifted, talented acting teacher. She really pulled out all the stops in terms of her being a director. That wasn't her strong suit in terms of being a television director. So she came on to MASH and did that because she was a very distinguished person in Los Angeles show business. And she did a great job and really pulled out all of the emotional issues that those nurses were dealing with and Margaret was dealing with. So I would think that there probably weren't that many female television directors working in the industry at that time, were there? I don't believe so. No, I yeah. mean, no, there weren't. So she was, it was kind of a big deal. And she was really, really a charming, charming person. And so she was a real pleasure to be around. One of the acting classes that I attended, a couple of really huge movie stars were in it. And it totally intimidated me. <laughs> I was like, why am I in this room? <laughs> but they were very friendly and accepted me as an actual human being. So it was it was a good thing. And it was 
Really good. But so Joan Darling, yeah, she was one of the first female directors. And she may have been the first female director to direct MASH. It's I'm, very I'm thinking she might have been, I, yeah. I believe she was, yeah. That's cool. A couple of the uh, guest stars on that show. So we had Gregory Harrison, who yeah. played Lieutenant Tony Baker. He goes on to play the character of Gonzo on Trapper John M.D., mm-hmm. you know, which is technically a MASH spinoff. And then Linda Kelsey, who plays Nurse Baker, she goes on to play reporter Billy Newman on Lou Grant. And of course, Lou Grant was produced by Gene Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. M- before we move forward, since we're picking nits on this episode, <laughs> the only thing I have against the episode, The Nurses, it's a plot point that drives me crazy. Why the heck did they use Margaret's tent to quarantine that soldier? Because then that set off the whole chain of events where Margaret then has to bunk with the nurses and it causes a whole big to do. I mean, was the VIP tent not open? Was Klinger's tent not open? Mm-hmm. Was the freaking supply closet not available? Yeah. Where did they have to use Margaret's tent? That has always, always bothered me. But again, picking nits, I'll let it go. Yeah. But it is a great episode and a great, fantastic, amazing performance by Loretta Swit. And uh, from You'll Never Know. <laughs> you'll Never Know. That's a great name. Wow, Yule says, this one was really hard to choose from, but I guess as a former enlisted man myself, I've had to say Lieutenant Radar O'Reilly. Seeing an enlisted man get a field grade promotion and him realizing he didn't want the problems attached to it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes promotions aren't everything they're chalked up to be. Yeah. Too much responsibility. Too many problems. Yeah. I I, I get it. Yeah. And that was a great episode for Gary too. I thought he yeah. was terrific in that. He was fantastic. He was really struggling with being in that uniform. And I, when he was first in that uniform, I didn't like it. <laughs> it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I didn't like seeing him dressed that way. Well, and Igor didn't care for it either. No, he didn't. No. <laughs> Never fails, right, Igor? You make a guy an officer and he turns into a fink. Ain't it the way. Does he remember when you learned Matt O'Henry Barber the movies? Uh-uh. Does he remember all that good garbage you gave him for his hamster? Beats me. Exactly. Is that the episode? I think I, that episode, my hair looked really good. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I always liked it when my hair looked good instead of being in that cap. Very important. That's a whole other episode when we chart the progression of Igor's hair. (laughs) Coming soon in 2021. (laughs) Moving on here, Rodney Spangler says, Hawkeye, get your gun. You see through the seriousness and the humor that the loving father-son kind of relationship between Hawkeye and Colonel Potter that I feel helped Hawkeye more than just about anything get through one of the most difficult periods of his life. Fire that weapon. Fire it? I don't even like looking at it. I said, fire that weapon. All right. You're fired. (laughs) Did it as gently as I could. That was an order, Pierce. Oh, waiter, would you take this man's order, please? Fire the gun, Hawkeye. Look, Colonel, I'll treat their wounds, heal their wounds, bind their wounds, but I will not inflict their wounds. You can't just sit there. I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm running on the inside. Tim Livingston says, I think it has to be Bug Out. That two-part episode, Bug Out. It was Bug Out and Bug mm-hmm. Out again. Yeah. They're more bugged out. <laughs> really bugged out. <laughs> bug Out 2, Electric Boogaloo, or Bugaloo. Boogaloo, yeah. Boogaloo. I, all those guys. <laughs> I think it has to be Bug Out. I really enjoyed how the episode continued to develop the interpersonal relationships between Hawkeye, Margaret, and Klinger. Mm-hmm. The ongoing character development, even in tertiary characters, is what made this show so good. 
Well, I agree with that. Yeah. There's footage of the camp being dismantled because of the bug out. They have to break down the entire camp. What a mess. Well, let me ask you about that. When that was done, who actually did the dismantling? Did you have to help in the dismantling of the set pieces to get them then moved to a new location? I called in and said, I have hepatitis and they let me off. (laughs) I had a a big knit and some hepatitis and I didn't have to go to work. (laughs) No, I, uh, luckily I was not there that day, but I do Ah, know people. Yeah. Thank you. There were a lot of folks. I know that Roy Goldman was there and they were really doing that. I mean, that was a real pain in the neck. Yeah. That was a big deal. And it's dirty. (laughs) It's really dirty. I imagine, yeah. Pulling those things, the dust and the dirt that's all around. And, you know, inside those tents, there was nothing in them really except dirt. So when you plopped all the stuff down on the dirt, you just got more dirt. It was quite a production. I read that footage of the camp being dismantled for this episode was then later reused for Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen when they had to bug out because of the fire that was approaching. Oh, interesting. They used some of the same footage as opposed Mm -hmm. to having to completely redo all of that footage again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah. All right. Lissa says her favorite episode from season five is the abduction of Margaret Houlihan. Flag returning and showing how nuts he was, his attitude with Frank, no contest. Although I love every episode of MASH, and I still want to know exactly if and how Flag got the scorpions for his friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old Colonel Flag. <laughs> yeah, Flag was a favorite of mine. He was so funny. He did that role so, so well. Yeah. Gosh, it was funny. I I just recently watched that and he just made me, makes me laugh out loud. He's, he's so funny in it. And another Margaret-focused episode. Yeah. Even though she is away from camp for a good chunk of this episode, still she is a central character in this. And, you know, between that and Margaret's engagement and her uh, marriage, yeah. it was a big, big season. It was. It was quite a evolutionary season for MASH. Yeah. In more ways than one, and personal relationships as well as the television show and the characters. Sure. Jeannie Kay says, Margaret's marriage. It was the end of Margaret and Frank, and him standing on the helicopter pad after everyone left was touching. Plus the irony that Margaret's husband credited Frank with them getting married but can't get over Margaret going into surgery in her wedding dress. Very touching stuff. Yeah, I mean, again, there were very few moments in the entire series when you felt sorry for Frank. Yeah. This was one of those moments as he's standing there on the helicopter pad, watching the chopper fly off with Margaret, knowing that that relationship was over. Mm -hmm. There was a little twinge of, uh, you know, feeling sorry for Frank. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we meet Lieutenant Colonel Donald Penobscot, played by Beeson Carroll. I'm trying to tell you how grateful I am to you. It's your fault I'm here. You inspired Margaret into insisting we get married. I'm indebted, and I'd like you to be our best man. Now, Beeson Carroll played him in this episode. However, next season, season six, we see the MASH Olympics. He's played by a completely different actor. And if anybody knows why they change, and Jeff, I don't know if you know why, but I I can't find any reason why Beeson Carroll didn't come back to play Penobscot again next season. I I don't think anybody liked the name Beeson. So I think they said, no, I don't like this. Do we like Beeson? No, not really. Can you find a Harvey? Yeah, let's get a Harvey. You know, that's a good question. I did not realize that. So I am now learning something as of right this moment in this time frame, did not know that it's a different actor. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. Uh, he was a terrific guy. I remember him. He's a really nice guy. He was a great, fun character for it. I don't know what happened. I want to apologize on behalf of MASH Matters for anybody whose name is Beeson who might be listening. <laughs> the views of Jeff Maxwell do not necessarily reflect the views of MASH Matters Incorporated. Send all letters to my law firm, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. <laughs> They're in Beverly Hills. They'll be happy to talk to you. This episode also features one of my favorite and probably one of the most popular Father Mulcahy quotes. Jocularity, jocularity. <laughs> yeah, that really became a very, very iconic thing, didn't it? Jocularity, jocularity. Yeah. That was funny fun. He was a great guy, William Christopher. Boy, I miss all these people. Uh, he was such a really wonderful human being. Mm. You see these shows and I'm you know, going through them and thinking about the days and the moments and the little scenes and stuff with everybody. It's really really difficult, you know, when you look back, but hey, that's life, you know? Again, I met him one time, had lunch with him and just a genuine sweet man. Yep. So patient and kind with us MASH fans who were there who had all kinds of questions for him, questions that he had heard millions of times. He answered them like it was the first time he had ever heard them. Yeah. Um, Kevin Harrigan says, so many excellent episodes, but for me, The Nurses shines brightest. Margaret's speech to the nurses was so special and such an amazing performance by Loretta. That scene should have gotten her an Emmy nomination. The emotion and depth of the character that comes out is truly amazing. You know, she was not nominated for that episode. Can we nominate her now? Can we say, give her a a MASH Matters nomination for that episode? Sure. Let's nominate her. A MASHy? A mashy. It's a mashy. (laughs) Yeah, because she was just beautiful doing that. Yeah. So that's the second vote for the nurses, right? Yeah. Well, we're not reading all of the comments that came in. This is just a segment of them, but the nurses did receive a lot of love. And uh, Chantel Roberts says, hi, guys. Love the show. Thank you, Chantel. My favorite is hands down Margaret's engagement. It's an interesting and hilarious spectacle watching Frank try to cope with it. But the best part is when Frank talks about taking out the young nurse in front of BJ, Margaret, and Hawkeye after Margaret won't stop talking about Penobscot. It cracks me up every time I see it, and I've seen it a lot. Thank you for your hard work on the podcast. I eagerly await each new episode. Take care. Fine. Thank you, Chantel. That's very nice. There's this little redheaded nurse who's had her eye on me, and tonight her wish will come true. (laughs) Do you mean that new girl with the freckles on her nose? Yes, that's the one. She's a little young for you, isn't she, Major Burns? Oh, I don't know. I thought a little youth might be nice for a change. Frank had some really great moments, and another fantastic moment in this particular episode is one that we've uh, discussed on a previous episode of MASH Matters. It's that heartbreaking line when he's talking to his mother. Well, you see, I had this friend, and this friend um, just pretended to like me, you know, the way Dad used to. (laughs) Fantastic performance by Larry Linville as Frank Burns. You know, he doesn't get a lot of credit for the work that he did on this show because his character was not beloved like other characters on the show. It's really easy to love the actors who portray the characters that are lovable, but the characters that aren't so lovable, those are just as equally hard, if not harder, to try to find the aspects of humanity in your performance. And man, oh man, Larry Linville, even though Frank was becoming more of a caricature as time went on, 
he knocked it out of the park in several episodes, including this one. Yeah, he did. And, and watching that, that arc in that season where he, he becomes more and more unhinged and yeah. <laughs> more and more crazy and nuts. That's not easy to do and get away with it and not look like an idiot. And I think he's one of the few actors on earth that really could do it and, and pull it off and make it look so awful and funny. And you loved him and hated him. And boy, what a terrific artist he was. By the way, Margaret's engagement, that episode was MASH's 100th episode. Didn't know that either. This is cool. What a cool podcast. I'm learning so much. (laughs) Mitch Halleck says, definitely the one where Igor miscounted the cash on the ping pong bets. Well, I agree with you, Mitch. By golly, finally, all these other people, what the heck are they talking about? Now we're talking. The man can cook, but can't count for a hill of beans. Did Hawkeye ever get paid back? Mm. (laughs) Well, that's a mystery. We're just not sure, Mitch. We're going to let that go. Maybe on episode 112 of MASH Matters, we'll talk about it. Okay, Igor, let me have my money. I must have paid out too much. Wait a minute, I'm a winner. You're lucky a lot of guys lost. That's from the episode Ping Pong. That's also the episode where Potter refers to his home being back in Nebraska instead of Hannibal, Missouri. Doctors, in 16 months, three weeks and four days, I expect to be standing on my patio back in Nebraska barbecuing. Why are you wetting on my charcoal? And it's also the episode that was directed. I'm not sure how many, but I do know this one he directed. He was the, his name is Bill Jurgensen, and he was the director of photography. Yeah. He directed that episode, and it was all pretty cool. And we loved Bill. He was a terrific director of photography, but he got to stand out now and say action and cut instead of saying, oh, yeah, move the light over there. So he was terrific at it, and he did a great job. And I loved his angles that he got down with the ping pong players and all that stuff that was going on in there. So he really was able to use all of his skills as a director of photography and as a uh, burgeoning director. So that was really fun. And the character BJ was named after him. Yeah, that's true. Bill Jurgensen. Yeah. There you go. So Jay says, movie tonight. It's so cozy and comforting to see the entire camp relax for a little and slowly start to turn what could be a series of frustrations into a fun and carefree night. It really emphasizes that everyone is family and just for a bit, you forget that a war is going on. Yeah, Movie Tonight is a fun, fun episode. And it's one of those episodes, it doesn't really have a plot. It's kind of a day in the life episode. And I really enjoy those kinds of episodes. There are so many great things in this episode, including the movie, My Darling Clementine, which is an actual movie from 1946. In fact, it's regarded as one of the best Westerns ever made. It was Colonel Potter's favorite movie, and it was also reported to have been Harry S. Truman's favorite movie. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to confess though. I've never seen it. I haven't either. (laughs) There are a couple of things. There's the song, G mom, I want to go home. It's a humor song about army life. The lyrics have gone through many different variations throughout the years, but I did find one Igor centric lyric. Oh, here it is. The biscuits in the army. They say are mighty fine. One rolled off the table and killed a pal of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is egocentric, isn't it? <laughs> so Radar does impressions yeah. also in that episode. And of those impressions, Jack Benny is my favorite. But he does a John Wayne and that particular line of dialogue. Well, it looks like you've got some people around here pretty mad at you, son. But I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to hit you. Like hell I'm not. Was from McClintock. And McClintock wasn't released until 1963. Uh-oh. 
Either it's an error or Radar went on to have a successful career as a screenwriter for John Wayne in Hollywood (laughs) following the war. Quite possible. What the heck? (laughs) Let's see. Rick Bywater says, okay, bug out. No other episode captures the mobile part of MASH like this one. I love the dedication of Hawkeye, Margaret, and Radar for staying behind while the rest of the camp bugs out. And the scene where Potter and BJ discover the brothel is priceless. <laughs> it certainly was. <laughs> Don't give me that static, lady. We're here to establish MASH 4077. You get your concubines out of here. Concubines? Out, lady, now. Business before war. That's what makes America great. We're here on orders of i General Irving R. Hamilton, commanding. Oh, thinky. <laughs> and the madam in the brothel was played by Eileen Saki, who went on to play Rosie in eight episodes in later seasons. She was one of the three Rosies, and she's probably the most recognizable of all the Rosies. I am learning things moment by moment here. I did not know that either. Wow. Yeah. So there were a bunch of Rosies. I <laughs> yeah. thought, actually thought there was only one Rosie. No, there were three. Wow. And she was one of them. And she was one of them. That's She got a better job. <laughs> she got a promotion. She got a promotion. All <laughs> right. John G. says, the general's practitioner. It showed Hawkeye's dedication to the wounded. He has his ticket out, staring at him in the face, and he chose to stay. That really spoke volumes in telling the complete story of Hawkeye Pierce. Another great episode featuring a guest appearance by Larry Wilcox as Corporal Mulligan. Wilcox, best known for portraying Officer John Baker on Chips. And Chips once featured a guest appearance by none other than Jeff Maxwell. Whoa, it did. Whoa, was he any good? Did he do well? How'd his hair look? I don't know. I've never seen it. I did a Starsky and Hutch once, too, and that's a whole other story. See, again, I want to do an episode where we just talk about your other acting roles outside of MASH. If you can call it acting. (laughs) Some people do. (laughs) Virginia Jarvis says, oh, such a hard choice. Come on, Virginia, you can do it. But Dear Sigmund was the one I was most passionate about when I was 15 and watching the show. How Sidney used the coping mechanisms of the 4077 staff to examine his own mind was so poignant and the priceless practical joke scenes in between. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I uh, This is actually one of my favorite episodes. I think it was wonderful. I love the concept of psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And uh, watching him do what he did was just amazing. Written and directed by Alan Alda. He was nominated for an Emmy Award for writing. He won the Emmy and the Directors Guild Award for directing this episode. We see, of course, the return of Dr. Sidney Freeman. If there's a way to preserve your sanity in wartime, they've found it. They slide their patched-up patients into the evac ambulance like loaves into a bread truck, and yet they never forget those packages of people. There is a scene that is popular in clip shows where the practical joker gets Potter by putting shoe polish around the eye holes of his binoculars. Yeah. That scene is typically cut from syndication. I remember seeing that scene and never knowing what it was from. There's another scene where BJ tells Klinger that he shouldn't wear hoop earrings. Klinger, don't you think hoops are a little trashy before breakfast? If I thought it'd get me out, I'd wear hula hoops in my ears. Two things. One, the name hula hoop wasn't coined until the late 50s. Oh. And then later in the series, in the episode Who Knew, Klinger tries to get Charles to invest in what would become the hula hoop. So again, Klinger ahead of his time. (laughs) 
Oh, wow. Again, time travel. Who knew? I know. Interesting. I didn't know that either. There are so many great moments in that episode, but I love the moment when Potter reads the letter yes. that Radar yes. writes to the deceased ambulance driver's parents. He was a real good boy, Mr. and Mrs. O'Donnell, and I know he loved you both very much. He spoke of you often to my company clerk, Corporal Walter O'Reilly. We were proud of him at MASH, and we'll miss Jerry very, very much. Thank you, Rita. Don't change a word. Beautiful. That gets me every time. Every time. That was a great, great moment. From DVM Jody on Twitter, the Colonel's horse. As a veterinarian and animal lover, I find this episode incredibly touching. It demonstrates the importance animals play in so many areas of our lives. It does. Can I tell a quick story about that? Yeah. I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe that this was a moment when they were going to have to sedate a horse in order for the horse to lay down. And they brought the horse out to do that to it. And I'm a horse guy. I used to own horses. And this horse was a very, very, very old horse that they walked out to do this scene with. And the wrangler said, well, we're going to have to sedate him because he doesn't just, horses don't necessarily like to lay down. So we're going to kind of knock him out to do this scene. And I said, gee, that's a really old horse. Are you concerned about, you know, the sedation and how that's going to affect the poor animal? And he said, yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, this is not going to be a pretty moment because if they kill a horse while they're shooting MASH, it's not going to be a great moment for all these people, nor for the horse or anybody. So I kind of talked to Gary about it. And I said, Gary, you know, a horse and here's the situation. They're going to have to sedate the horse in order to make the horse lay down so you can do the scene. And he kind of went, wait a minute. Nope, I don't think so. And they stopped shooting it. They stopped it and said, no, that's not going to happen. And so what they did was shot it later on out of sequence. They didn't, they had, I think they waited three or four weeks to shoot it, but they brought in a horse that was trained to lay down rather than have to be sedated. Hmm. So they just said, you know, Harvey, lay down. And he went, and they lay down. So they didn't have to shoot him full of sedation. So wow. I, I think Gary and I saved a horse. Yeah, it sounds like you did. Seriously. I, I think we did. Of course, it bears the question, why didn't they just bring in the other horse that was trained to lay down to begin with? Ryan, what a great question. That's a great question. You should have somebody on a, a producer or something to ask them why they didn't do that in the first place. So why did you try to kill a horse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah another little uh, piece of information from that episode. BJ places a phone call to his father-in-law, Floyd Hayden, who lives in Quapaw, Oklahoma. Mike Farrell's real wife at the time, Judy Farrell, who was on the show, her maiden name was Hayden, and she was originally from Quapaw, Oklahoma. Aha! I don't know if Floyd was her actual father's name or not, but there obviously was some autobiographical influence to that line. Weaving in real life to fantasy life. Hmm. Yeah. Joseph Hecht says, exorcism. Because let's face it, with the way 2020 has been, we could all use something to chase the bad spirits away. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, brother. Amen, yeah. Two things from exorcism. (laughs) One is that Igor is mentioned twice in this episode, but never appears. (laughs) So you were there in spirit, Jeff. I was there in spirit, as they say. No pun intended. Yeah. And then there is a... uh, there's a moment where a Jeep takes off and then almost hits a bicyclist and it slams on its brakes and you hear the tires squeal. Can tires squeal on dirt? (laughs) 
Is that possible? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. We'll find. We'll do research and see. Thank you to everybody who gave us those comments on Twitter. We're going to move on to Facebook here in just a moment. But before we do that, Jeff, we recently launched Patreon for MASH Matters. This is exciting because it gives you the opportunity to become a MASH Matters VIP. You can join Patreon and start supporting the show for as little as $3 a month. And you can unlock some cool perks, Jeff, like stickers and autograph memorabilia and maybe even a personalized one-on-one Zoom call with us. I would do one with us. That would be great. <laughs> you know, I kid, but that would be really fun to do. We're looking forward to that. We are, and we had several people already sign up, and we want to thank Corporal Rachel Irvine, Corporal Eric White, and Corporal Timothy Burleson. Captain Tina Demeglio, Captain Michael Gibbons, Captain Megan Bridget, and Captain Sarah Hahn. Also, Major Tim Miles and Major Charlie Lipset. And one of those two was the best man at my wedding. I'll let you try to figure that one out. Okay, is that a contest? Maybe you could guess <laughs> which one. Right now, Charlie Lipset is listening saying, well, I know it's not me, so it must be that <laughs> Tim guy. We will salute more Mash Matters VIPs in upcoming episodes. Go to mashmatters.com slash support and become a Mash Matters VIP. All right, let's move on now to Facebook. Uh, A few more comments coming in. This one from Jeff Kramer. He says, I like the most unforgettable characters. No scene ever illustrates the Frank Burns character more than his story about the sickly kid on his block, Timmy, running into his dad's car. (laughs) Boy, was that funny. (laughs) That must have been awful. No, I just scratched the paint a little. Well, I hope Timmy wasn't hurt. Oh, what's the difference? His folks had money. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, we learned how many bones were in a squirrel's hand. Yes, we did. However, in that particular episode, Hawkeye says that there are 28 bones in the human hand. Actually, there are only 27. Oh. Hawkeye got it wrong. He got it wrong. Whoa. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not easy making a television show, keeping everything straight. You know, it isn't. It's a lot of of people, a lot of work. We can't say anything. We read questions from, you know, 10 episodes ago. So There you go. What do we know? And we don't even drink as much as those people used to on MASH. So uh, Manfred Hilgers says, the nurses. That wasn't an easy choice, and I tended to choose Dear Sigmund at first, but I think the nurses had a huge impact on the show itself and on the development of Margaret Houlihan. Also, it was nice to see more of the supporting cast. By the way, MASH should have done the same with the male supporting cast, like a whole show about a day in the life of Igor, Zelmo Zale, and Salvatore Pernelli. I don't even know who this <laughs> Salvatore Pernelli is, but I'm sure he, if she says well, Salvatore was, Pernelli was actually in later seasons, he was the cook in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I cannot right. for the life of me recall the actor's name right now, but yeah. uh, we'll, we'll probably talk more about Salvatore Pernelli in, in future episodes because he has some great moments. Well, Manfred, uh, thank you for saying that. I think you're right. And I think there's still a way to do it. Yes, it would be expensive to get everybody together. Not going to say it wouldn't, but I certainly think if we get everybody together, we can do a whole show about Igor, certainly. I'm willing to show up. We just need to fund it. So again, mashmatters.com slash support. (laughs) Marie Westerland, she said the nurses was her favorite, but she added that she wanted to mention hepatitis. She say, it may not be my favorite episode, but it has one of my absolute favorite moments of the whole show. When Hawkeye is about to give Margaret her shot and is being a total creep drooling over her butt. 
And she calls him out on it, demanding respect. Yeah, I love that. All the respect for Margaret, who just happens to be my favorite character in case anyone was wondering. I said in the last episode, one of my favorite Margaret and Hawkeye moments was coming up in season five. This is it. This moment right here. My sentiments exactly. Let us not dawdle over a moment like this. Let us treat it as a professional encounter of the most. Oh, Margaret, may I pause on this occasion to express a few thoughts? If you say one word. Oh, I wouldn't. I would not a word. But, But if I did, that word would be magnificent would that be bad will you please give me the shot okay okay there how dare you come in here on the pretext of giving me a shot and then stand there ogling me as though i were a sideshow attraction boy i show you a little appreciation and you hit the roof what do you want from me respect simple respect i expect nothing more and i'll accept nothing less His delivery of that line is pitch perfect. And I do also, Marie, agree with you. I love that Margaret turns around and gives it right back to him. Yeah. Looking at the evolution of Margaret Houlihan and also in that, the evolution of the relationship between Margaret and Hawkeye. And I think this is one of those scenes that really illustrates that well. Yeah, they were so good together. And, you know, Alan doing that scene and doing that joke at the moment and the rhythm that they did it with, it's just so phenomenal. You just go, wow, that is so good. You just could watch it over and over and over because it's such a wonderful moment. Yeah, so good. Chris Tkarczyk says, Mulcahy's War is one of mine. William Christopher finally gets to take the spotlight and his character, Francis John Patrick Mulcahy, is put to the test. He goes from being a kind soul with the soldier who shot himself to putting himself in extreme danger just to get a chance to speak with the young man later about his self-inflicted wound. It's one of those episodes that makes you stop and watch in awe no matter how many times you've seen it. This episode was written by Richard Cogan. Now, there's no such writer by that name because Richard Cogan is actually a pseudonym used by Charlie Hawk, a legendary TV comedy writer and producer who wrote for Maud, One Day at a Time, and Frasier, and Home Improvement. In 1976, Larry Gelbart asked him as a favor to write one episode of MASH and to do it under a pseudonym. Why he did it under a pseudonym, I'm not really sure. Maybe there were Writers Guild rules or something in play. I don't know. But kind of a sad note, Charlie Hawk just passed away a few weeks ago. He passed away last month at the age of 79. Yeah. There's one moment in this episode that has some really bad ADR, automated dialogue replacement. Basically, it's overdubbed. There's the sergeant at the aid station, and his voice is obviously dubbed by another actor. And that actor sounds a lot like Johnny Hamer. Here we go again. (laughs) Here we go again. Here we go again, boys. I wish you were conscious. I'd like to offer some comfort. Being unconscious is as comfortable as you can get up here, Padre. Do you ever get any wounded dogs up here? Nah, they're too smart to get wounded. They just point out where the Chinese are and they step aside. They're kind of like generals. Radar, we better get underway. This man needs attention. Right. Well, wait a minute. What? We had a goat up here once, though. Very serious shrapnel wounds. Oh, wow. What'd you do? We ate him. Uh, That Johnny Amer, he was a workhorse, wasn't he? Anybody that flubs a line, well, get Johnny Hamer, he'll do it. (laughs) Todd Nysoff. Todd says, in Margaret's marriage, it always bothered me that Klinger is at both bachelor parties. Even though they appear to be at the same time, he appears to be in two places at once, the way it's cut. And I agree. I think in the syndicated version more so, it does look like Klinger is at both bachelor parties (laughs) at the exact same time. (laughs) Never noticed that. I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah. Good catch, Todd. Yeah. 
BJ Hicks says, Out of Sight, Out of Mind is a personal favorite, not only because of Hawkeye's speech to BJ about the world opening up to him, but also because I've always been inspired by Tom Sullivan, who played Tom Straw. Very cool. Yeah, Lieutenant Tom Straw, the blind soldier, was actually played by an actor named Tom Sullivan, who is blind himself. Mr. Straw. Yes? I have here Hawkeye Pierce, new boy in your English class. Ah, yes, Pierce. Third row, second seat, big mouth. The very same. How you doing, Tom? Not very well. I tried to write a letter to my wife this morning. I only got as far as dear Marilyn. Try, darling, I'm coming home. She'll be thrilled. How thrilled will she be when I tell her the rest? Don't sell her short. Tom has had a pretty prolific career. He is an actor. He's a producer, director, composer, singer, author, and he's a motivational speaker, too couple of other things. This was the first episode written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs. This was also the first appearance of Judy Farrell, who was Mike Farrell's wife at the time, and Enid Kent playing nurses Abel and Bigelow. And it's also the final appearance of Bobby Mitchell playing Lieutenant Gage. And Bobby Mitchell had, I think, just about the cutest voice on MASH. <laughs> she did. Listen, uh, could he come back in a little while? I was going to undress and take a shower. She was a very nice woman. Very, very, very. Everybody loved her. She had a cute, a really cute voice. Yeah, yeah, she had a great. Yeah. I just totally destroyed that imitation of her voice. But <laughs> it, it was very, very cute. Yeah, she had a great, great voice. The entire show, though, centers around a gas furnace blowing up in Hawkeye's face, but there were no gas furnaces in camp. They were all wood-burning <laughs> stoves. So I'm not really sure how that happened, but you know, hey, whatever. Yeah. Picking nits, picking nits. Picking yep. it. <laughs> what we're doing. Picking it. Kevin Wizardo, he says, for the longest time, I had never seen 38 across. In college, FX was new and ran several episodes a day, largely in order, so I tried to record the whole series on VHS and track each episode by its episode number, but the day they should have shown 38 Across, they didn't. It became my holy grail, and when they finally aired it, I was delighted. It's a fun episode, and I also appreciated the double entendres in its title. Vance. Vance. Yeah. So there was this thing about MASH that I still to this day don't understand. There were certain actors that were brought back to play multiple roles. One of those was in this episode. Actually, two of them were in this episode. One was Dick O'Neill, who is one of those guys who was in everything. He appears in this episode. He is the admiral in this episode. He appeared in three episodes of MASH. And every time he appeared in MASH, he played a different officer from a different branch of the military. <laughs> so he's a Navy admiral in this. And then in BJ Papasan, he's an army general. And then in Sons and Bowlers, he's a Marine colonel. He got around. He got, yeah. And then Oliver Clark, who plays Tippy Brooks, Hawkeye's friend, later appears in the episode Mail Call 3 as the other Captain Benjamin Pierce, who has his mail swapped with Hawkeye's. So, Jeff, I have to ask, were there not enough actors in Hollywood? Was there a shortage of actors in Hollywood yeah. to play these parts? What? Very, very few were available at that time. <laughs> very, very few. So they, they had to keep reconstituting them because it was so not a lot of actors. There just weren't. He'd go out in the streets and, are there any actors out here? And nobody showed up. All right. We'll just call Dick O'Neill again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he mentioned the double meaning of the title, 38 Across. Of course, that's a line in a crossword puzzle. And also they were stationed along the 38th parallel. And here we go. I'm going to pick some more nits. It always bothered me that they were trying to find a last word for the Times crossword puzzle. 
Jeff, if they had all of the other words, there would be no last word, would there? I don't think so. I I think you've hit on something that's very true. Yeah. How, how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. Picking nits with Jeff and Ryan. We'll continue after this. <laughs> While we figure that out, Priscilla Ross writes, my favorite season five episode is Exorcism because it showed that even a man of the cloth, Father McKay, is open to not only cultural customs, but religious practices that were not his own. It shows that he is not only understanding, but shows that he can coexist with people believing in different faiths. As someone who is of a non-Christian faith, seeing a character that represents my former faith being accepting of other non-Christian faith, it gives me hope that many Maybe everyone can be as understanding and compassionate as Father Mulcahy. Hmm. Well, those are big shoes to, uh, you know, to walk in because Father Mulcahy was a very understanding guy, just like as we've talked about Bill Christopher was. So. so those were just a few of the comments that came in on Facebook. We also had a couple come in on email and YouTube, one from Seth Jonas. 38 Across was one of his favorites because his grandparents were fluent in Yiddish. So he said he knew a little Yiddish when he first watched the episode, but he would not have gotten the word for bedbug. <laughs> and then our friend Gabrielle Fortier, she had several. She said she couldn't choose only one episode. So here are her top five. Dear Sigmund, Out of Sight, Out of Mind, The Nurses, Mulcahy's War, and Hepatitis. Those five, Jeff, along with Movie Tonight, were the most mentioned episodes by far from listeners for season five. There were some episodes, as best I could tell, here's the thing, we'll probably still be getting in some more comments from people after we've recorded this, but as of right now, we had not received any votes for post-op. Again, Hilly Hicks returning as a completely different character. Yep. Here we go again, that actor shorted. Yeah. And then Al Viscuso showing up both as a patient and doing the voice on the PA in the same episode. You got to get as much work out of them as you can when there's very <laughs> <guess> few. So. <laughs> also, we didn't get any votes for souvenirs. I found an interesting little story about the episode souvenir. So there's this plot line about Klinger doing some pole sitting. That was a contribution by writer Reinhold Weege. Now, in this episode, it has a story by credit for Weege and Burt Proletsky. But in the book, TV's MASH, The Ultimate Guidebook, Burt Proletsky is quoted as saying, Sometimes credits can be misleading. Weege had apparently written a script that they didn't shoot, but Gene Reynolds had liked the idea of Klingers trying to set a flagpole sitting record as a minor story element. He asked me if I would be kind enough to share the story credit with Weege, whom I had never met. I figured I owed it to Gene and the show to go along with it, although personally I didn't care for the bit. It seemed stupid <laughs> and not funny at all to me. It also didn't seem like something Klinger would decide to do. Staging a fashion show, maybe, but freezing his butt off sitting halfway up a flagpole, nah. And again, those are Bert Proletsky's words, not ours. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and Reinhold Weege, that name might ring a bell for some people. He went on to create Night Court. Uh, I met Reinhold Weege in a bar one night. It was a bar in Studio City called Residuals. Yes. And it, yeah. was, it catered to a lot of actors who were around that area. Yeah. It was owned by a guy who used to be the talent coordinator for The Tonight Show. Mm -hmm. Very nice guy. And he opened this cute little bar. And a lot of actors used to go in there and hang out and drink and have some fun and, you know, eat snacks and stuff. And he had a policy whereby 
you bring in the lowest residual. And if you were brought the lowest residual in that night, or a check that was the lowest residual of all everybody else's, you got a free drink. <laughs> so everybody was bringing in their 18 cents uh, you know, check that they got as a residual. <laughs> Great guy. But Reinhold Weege was sitting at the bar one night and somebody said, Jeff, you want to meet Reinhold? Oh, yeah. So I never met him. Nice guy sitting at the bar. And he had the first cell phone that I'd ever seen. Huh. It was big and had green lights and dots all over it. And it was looked very, you know, techno geeky. And it was really a cool looking gadget. And it was big with an antenna on it. And I said, well, so you can call people sitting at the bar? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, I think he called somebody and it went. <laughs> it was very <laughs> fascinating to watch. And so he says, hello. And he, he cut the conversation really, really short. And I said, well, gee, you didn't talk very long. He said, no, no, I think it's like $30 a minute. (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, I'm not going to get one right away then. Wow. So Reinhold Weege, thanks for showing me my first cell phone. Another thing about Reinhold Weege and Night Court, at one point, they revealed that Dan Fielding, the character played by John Larroquette, that Dan is not his real name. And it's a big joke at the end when they reveal that his name is Reinhold. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. (laughs) No votes for Hanky Panky, which is the episode where BJ falls off the Fidelity Wagon. End Run, and I have to say something about End Run. This is the episode where uh, the player from Iowa loses his leg. Yeah. It opens with a big bar fight in Rosie's. And there are two things that happen during this bar fight. All right, I'm going to pick some nits again. Pick them. First of all, there's a soldier who does this big choreographed dive. It looks like something out of a Broadway musical. It is beautiful. It's a, it's a big swan dive he does off of the table. In fact, I'm, I think we'll, we'll do a little video and we'll put it on Facebook and Twitter so you can see this dive. And then also, there's a moment where some soldiers go through the window. You hear the sound of glass shattering, but the window is obviously made of paper. <laughs> Or maybe even plastic. I don't know. But it's not glass. But still, you hear the glass shattering. It's crazy. By the way, the character of Billy Tyler, who was the star running back for Iowa, that would likely be the University of Iowa. You know what their team name is, Jeff? What? The Hawkeyes. Oh. We didn't get any votes for Hawk's Nightmare. And we also didn't get any votes for the Korean Soldier, which I'll talk about here in just a moment. All right, Jeff. Well, let's talk about our favorite episodes. I have a top three. Do you have a top three? I have a top two. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll do my number three and then we'll go back and forth on our number twos then. Okay. Number three is one of the episodes I mentioned that had not received any votes. It may not be the best episode or even in the top three of the episodes from season five, but it is one of my favorites. And it's the episode, The Korean Soldier. It just shows how much we have in common with those who are considered enemies and the links we sometimes have to go in order just to simply work together, to coexist. You know, I wish the circumstances were different and we could be working together. You'd be willing to do that? You treat the enemy. Why can't I? A couple of facts. One is one of the North Korean infiltrators who kidnaps Frank is played by Larry Hama. We are from the Katusa Hospital at Kumgon. You have these supplies. Some people know that Mr. Hama went on to have a major impact in the comic book industry. He was very instrumental in creating the G.I. Joe series also. 
And then uh, they bring a, a Korean soldier over and they try to pass him off as a U.S. soldier. Well, from IMDb, I found this fact. It said that Hawkeye, BJ, Radar, and Klinger would have been guilty of violating Section 104 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which would be aiding the enemy. Yeah. And the wartime punishment for such an offense was death. Oh, God. So oh my God. I guess that episode could have ended a lot worse than it did. Yikes. Anyway, that's my number three. I, I liked it. I didn't put it in the top anywhere, but I did like it. I, I agree with you. I think it's a very human story and, and yeah. really talked about how we can all learn from each other and appreciate each other. And I, I just love the uh, the scenes, Frank, <laughs> when they kidnap him. And early, he doesn't know that he's kidnapped, but he's driving out there, freaking out, doing all these crazy things. And they say, get out. We are past the checkpoint and we don't need you anymore. Besides, you're driving us crazy. And we don't need a hostage that badly. Get out. What do you mean? You simpleton. We are North Koreans. Honest engine? Don't hurt me! I'll tell you anything you want to know! Get out of the Jeep! So what was your number two? My number two is the most unforgettable characters. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Why? Uh, you know, I like the concept of writing. I've always been fascinated with good writers. Mm -hmm. And I loved what they did in helping Radar understand how to write and to find that he didn't have to use other people's words and he could find his voice yeah. and find who he was inside and write that instead of trying to write in the voice of somebody else. Because none of that's you. It sounds like you swallowed a dictionary. <laughs> but I'm just doing what the book says. Throw the book away. I'm no authority, but it seems to me the first rule, if you want to be a writer, is be yourself. I think that's a really good thing for everybody to learn just as a human being. It's not easy to really find that center of yourself and really appreciate it and, and live most of your life that way. It ain't easy. <laughs> and it gets yeah. very complicated as we go through life. But finding that voice that's in your within your heart and soul is, I think, a, a wonderful experience and, and something that's, uh, that everybody should have and, and strive to do. And he was, they taught him to do that. And then he finally did that and was able to express himself through his own words, which I thought was very, very, very sweet. My number two is Movie Tonight. Just a fun and funny episode. I mean, you've got everything. You've got Radar's Impressions. You've got the Tennessee Waltz. You've got Walter Brennan. <laughs> you've got the Father Mulcahy Soundalike Contest. You've got G-Mom, I Want to Go Home. It's just so much fun to watch these people blow off some steam until the war interrupts the fun. So Movie Tonight is my number two. Cool. My uh, number one, I have to go back to Dear Sigmund. Mm -hmm. yep. I really loved what he did, and I loved what that character and what that man was trying to accomplish and doing what he did throughout the show uh, and trying to help himself by looking at everybody else and hearing what everybody else was doing and their feelings. And he was able to work through what he was feeling and learn about himself by doing that. And I think that's, again, I go back, that's kind of a lesson for us all as we <laughs> do what we do every day. Yeah. And it was a real interesting look at how that character and how a psychiatrist might approach that. 
I doubt that many of them would be that elegant about it, but <laughs> he had a bunch of writers, so yeah, <laughs> helping him yeah. be that elegant. But that's what I loved about it. And I loved that that character went on to do a lot of other stuff in the show and, and became very popular. Um, so that that's mine. Uh, and it, as you say, it was written and directed by Alan Alda. Yeah. You can't get much better than that. I think he really held on to it. He knew what he wanted to say. He knew what he wanted that character to say, and he knew what he wanted to accomplish throughout that show. And I think they did. And so I vote Dear Sigmund, number one. Well, Jeff, great minds think alike. My number one is also Dear Sigmund. Whoa. Ding, 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 ding. I can't say it any better than what you just said. And also a listener, John Hunt, I'm going to let his words speak for me because everything he says is pretty much what I say. He says, Dear Sigmund, this is not only my favorite episode from season five. It's in my top three episodes of the entire series for several reasons. First, it's a great way to introduce anyone who has never seen MASH to the show as it highlights each major character from Sidney's perspective as if he were writing his letter for the first time viewer. Second, it's in season five, which is pretty much midway through the show's run when it was really hitting its stride. I don't think the balance between comedy and seriousness was ever better than this period of the show's run and this episode especially. Third, BJ's practical jokes were simply hilarious. No one can witness these comedic gems without busting a gut. When Radar falls out of the Jeep laughing after seeing Colonel Potter's blackened eyes, it still feels like he's a surrogate for the audience. Finally, the way Hawkeye makes the down pilot see the war from his perspective is brilliant. He doesn't berate him for having a disconnected, nonchalant attitude about what he was doing. He gently nudges him toward the horror that was previously hidden by thousands of feet of altitude and the thrill of flying a fighter jet, and to great effect. It's just an all-around brilliant episode. And our Patreon VIP, Karen Jeet, she says, Dear Sigmund is a masterpiece. I think it's MASH at its best. Yeah, that was great. Those are those are two great comments. I also said a few episodes back, if I had to choose one episode to show someone who has never seen MASH, it would probably be Dear Sigmund. They look every day into the face of death. On the surface, they may seem like other doctors and nurses, but underneath, ah, Sigmund, underneath... Thank you to everybody who sent in their comments and emails and tweets. You can continue to send in questions and voicemails and whatnot. Just go to mashmatterspodcast.com. Send us your emails. You can find our phone number to call and leave a three-minute or less voicemail. Find us on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere. You know where to find us. By the way, Jeff, this is our final episode of 2020. This is it. Wow, this is it. Oh my gosh, I'm getting chills. Holy moly. Wow. Very cool. Well, congratulations. Congratulations to you. We made it through. Congratulations to all of us for making it through 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got a few days yet, so I don't know. (laughs) True. Too soon. We'll wrap up this supersized episode with our thanks and uh, best wishes to you for a safe and happy holiday season. And until next year, here's looking up your old address.